0: world of work podcast with james
1: and jane
0: hello everyone this is james Uh, just before this podcast i wanted to take a minute and remind you that we're actually a community interest company working to improve people's experience performance and engagement in the world of work in addition to our free podcasts and articles we provide online training seminars workshops courses and development programs as well as one-to-one or team coaching you can learn more on our website www.worldofwork.io that's www.worldofwork.io And if you like this podcast, please do take a minute to review it. Okay, let's get into the show. Hello, this is James.
1: And this is Jane.
0: And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We've got another great topic for you, something that we'd like to speak about. Jane, what are we talking about today and who are we speaking to?
1: Well, today we are talking to Karen Joel Madsen and we are exploring organizational culture, specifically some of the practicalities of Uh, assessing and changing your culture.
0: Great, let's get into the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's conversation and we've got a really exciting guest and another exciting topic. We're going to be speaking about organizational culture and we're going to be speaking about organizational culture with Karen John Madsen, um, who's got a a range of uh, professional experience and and backgrounds and one of the things that she's doing at the minute is she's actually an instructor at Stanford where she teaches a bit on this subject. So that's, that's a great Um, background to bring to what we're speaking about. Um, Karen, before we get into the actual subject of organizational culture and why it matters and explore it in more depth, could you introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit about yourself and your background and what you're working on in your course at Stanford?
2: Yes, of course. And thank you so much for having me. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I am a principal of my own firm. It's called Co-Design of Work Experience. Uh, author of the book, Culture Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. Um, and I'm a founder of a future of work platform called a New HR. Uh, I also do executive coaching. And as you mentioned, I'm an instructor at Stanford University's Continuing Studies Program. Uh, so the work that I do primarily enables decision makers to address organizational challenges that affect business performance. So things like I, I put it in four main buckets. One is coaching and developing leadership. Uh, two is enabling organizations to leverage their culture, diversity, and employee experience. Uh, my third bucket is optimizing talent. So that's aligning people with strategy. And then the last kind of cuts across all the others, which is driving change management and transformation. So that's that's what I do in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite a nutshell. You've, you've crammed quite a bit in there. That's a great range of really interesting topics that all fit within the i guess the, the broader domain of understanding our our working environment and improving those which um which is exactly the, the focus area for what we look at um as as our podcast and it's the same areas we're, we're fascinated by um if we start to look at organization culture and start to dive into it a little bit like we usually do we like to start with quite a broad question and i just check it out there um how would you describe organizational culture what, what is your take on it i know a lot of people write about it and think about it but but what sort of resonates with you as a description?
2: Yeah, I do have my own working definition. And as you can, uh, as you know, having had all these other conversations, is that there is no one universally accepted, um, established uh, view of culture. And so all of us who are in this space kind of have to put that line in the, si- in the sand. And for me, uh, culture is this social construct. So anything that influences, uh, behaviors, interactions, and perceptions in groups of people, primarily organizations. And they communicate the boundaries of what is acceptable, not acceptable, and as well as what's condoned as well. So it's kind of all those things that are influ- that influence um, um, people's behaviors at the end of the day, the dynamics and the patterns that they have between each other. I, I must warn, I'm an organizational psychologist by training, <laughs> oh, yes. so, so having grown up and um, I've had background in nonprofit, uh, corporate, I grew up in HR, so I've kind of got quite a few decades of um, perspective that I've been able to shape and hone over the years.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's brilliant. So um, as I'm sure you know, Jane's background is in the nonprofit uh, nonprofit space as well as um, organizational psychology. So, so there's a lot of overlap there. And and we actually, we really like the, um, you know, the multifaceted uh, experience that uh, generalists is not quite what I call them, but, but career changes and people have looked into different domains bring to their thinking. We think it's refreshing and we think that cross-pollinization of ideas is, is really great. Um, so I like a lot of the things that, that you've brought into that definition. It it, um, it brings in things like the social construction aspect of it, uh, and, and I think there's some, some, some really good takeaways within there. Um, you've clearly been informed by the different facets of your career, um, as well as your sort of working experience within this. If you were to think about people who've maybe are academically influenced what you've done or what you've thought, does anyone stand out in terms of theories or models or ideas that, that you, you've you um, clung to or been influenced by as you've developed your own definitions?
2: Oh, yes, of course. I mean, and, and we'll get into this with my framework as well. Uh, my, my big uh, heroes in organizational psychology have influenced yeah. my work tremendously. Uh, people like Warner Burke, um, at, mm-hmm. out of my graduate school program, um, have been very formative to me. Uh, he, of course, has a lot around. Um, change in organizations um, and of the last few years has also gotten into learning agility, which has an influence on innovation. Um, oh. David Cooper from Case Western, who is the father of appreciative inquiry, uh, yes. a whole different way of thinking and a shift in mindset that has influenced me over the years. And a lot of other thinkers out there that are on the front end, but um, kind of combining that with the practical side of things. So um, I've been highly influenced by design thinking, um, you know, and of course there's plenty of culture um, thought leaders over the years that I've taken bits and pieces of. It's just, I haven't fully adopted, you know, one entire model and that's kind of how I ended up, developing my own framework because it got a bit tiresome you know uh going oh it's a bit this and i'm inspired by that and so it just became easy shorthand it's just it's not that i set out saying "Oh, okay i'm gonna add another one to this big pile here yeah
0: yeah 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 but it's our process of of synthesis yeah it's really cool yeah and i like the um i like that recognition of the need for you know, theory and the need for practice and, and trying to occupy that, that practical interpretation and then to incorporate both aspects. So I think that's important for um, for making a difference, which is what a lot of this is about. Um,
2: yeah, when, that's very, when, when... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I was going to say that's very tied to my definition of learning as well, right? So okay. learning is not just acquiring the knowledge, it's being able to do something with it. So it's it's actually defined by oh, yeah. change, if you think about it, right? Um, You encounter something new and you behave or think or do things differently as a result Mm -hmm. of having that knowledge. You've incorporated it. So that's exactly you described it exactly in in that type of thinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that comes across really, really clearly in in some of the Mm -hmm. the descriptions you brought. So that's great. Um, When um, when we're thinking about what an organizational culture is. Um, and, and if maybe people aren't close to it, I mean, we, we kind of have an intuitive sense. But what types of factors might appear, like if we're talking about a, a facet of an organizational culture or a distinctive feature of somebody's organizational culture, what might some of the things that that we would give name to be that would make a specific culture distinctive?
2: Um, I, I think I'd look at that. In two different ways. So organizational culture shows up every day in our interactions. It comes through lived experience. So when you go and you ask somebody, how was your day at work? Culture is there, you know. It's some aspect of how people remember, and that's why I frame so much around experiences because that's how we're coded—is to remember things and have memories based on experiences. And so that's kind of where culture shows up. It's it's basically in everything, every day. If you, in a day-to-day standpoint, but if you're talking about, you know, if you're going into an organization from the outside and you say, well, you know, how might I? figure out what the culture is. It's just, first of all, I would tell you, it's more than what people say. It's what people do. So observation to me is a big part of understanding culture. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think uh, this, what I said earlier about what is acceptable and not acceptable or condoned, that's the real Mm -hmm. culture. Um, And so when you see those interactions, um, then you can be able to describe them Uh, When you when you can describe them, you know, with the adjectives, those are really what the culture is. Right. Uh, Do people feel safe to be able to be authentic at work? You know that those are hallmarks Um, values, as long as they are lived as opposed to just written (laughs) is where you can also get a sense of the culture as well. So all different places, as you can see, you're going to hear this theme for me. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I guess that kind of leads me on to a next question, and, and this is maybe a little bit more of a personal motivation question, but I mean, you've spoken eloquently um, and fairly broadly already about what organisational cultures are. I guess for you, what is it about organisational cultures that attract you? What is it that is interesting about an organisational culture, and, and what are some of those hooks that brought you into this subject as a field of interest?
2: Yes, it is quite personal, actually, um, to use your word, because uh, I, rather than I'll, I'll qualify it and say culture by itself, because um, I grew up as a, a, a person of color in the United States, a daughter of immigrants, and had okay. experiences as a child um, and wondering why things were the way they were. And that developed even further in high school, where, you know, I, I believe... Um, women of color, people of color in particular, when they're in, they have the kinds of experiences that that I've had is they go to, through a period where they need to negotiate or, or figure out what their personal identity is. And oh, yeah. that's where the questioning started and uh, ended up majoring in ethnic and cultural studies with a minor in understand- women's studies and gender oh. and all that. So, I mean, this has been going on for a very long time. So no matter what work I've done um, or what kind of endeavors that I've gotten involved with, there's just this common theme of understanding people, culture, and affecting positive change, and yeah. I do credit my parents for, because, you know, I think that's embedded in my personal values as well. So that yeah. my interests have really been um, been uh, driven by my experience as um, uh, uh, a woman of color and understanding yeah. the the facets that come with. And as you know, there's been a lot of talk around DEI, thank mm-hmm. God, but it's taken many years to kind of get to that stage and, and with a lot yeah. of horrible things that have happened in the meantime and so that's really what interests me i'm i'm fascinated i really am fascinated by how these dynamics develop and i want to yeah. be able to equip people to uh to use it as a positive force for good because as you know yeah. there are lots of bad toxic cultures out there
0: yeah well that's, that's great and, and thank you for sharing some of that, that personal nature of that. Um, just as a little playback to you, something I didn't mention in our intro. For listeners, we, we have like a, a, you know, a mini intro with guests before we start. Um, my parents are actually both social anthropologists. So even though in my career, I went off to do finance as some form of rebellion and became an accountant, throughout my life, I've always had the the sort of exposure to interest in and perception of and reflection on how people behave and why they behave that way. So I, I kind of funneled back into it as well. So I just think that's kind of an interesting um Interesting well, we can sort talk all day. Nurturing. We can talk yeah. all day about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly what's that like? Um, so so if we think about the, the cultures that organisations have, we've defined them, we've described them of the facets of them, we, we've talked a little bit about why culture more broadly and sort of social interactions and the way that we, we function as groups of people, why that's interesting. If we think about cultures within organisations or, you know, distinct cultures of organisations, why are those important things to understand? I mean, what what are the what are the, the benefits that we get, or or what are the practical applications, or what are the outcomes of being able to understand those cultures and influence them? Why are they important?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a, on a personal level, it has to do with uh, human potential, right? Um, because the cultures drive the environments in which people can either live up to their full potential or or aren't able to. Right. Um, So on a personal level, it's about like, you know, the meaning of life in my, in my world, you know, and being able to, you know, find that autonomy and fulfillment and having really great work experiences where you do wonderful things. Right. But on an organizational level, and I'm not the only one to say this, is that culture can be either an asset or a liability. It's, there's not a whole lot in between Okay, Um, and so it's kind of a pass fail and they are so important. Your, Your organizational culture is either helping your business or your organization, you know, do better or perform well or it's detracting from it. So even companies that in my mind are temporarily successful in spite of their culture are leaving a lot on the table there. So I think they're, they're important to everybody. I think culture is everywhere. And so it's so challenging when I come across organizations where they're like, oh, that's HR's job. Because in fact, culture is in every fun- functional space in the organization. And you can have the best products, processes in the world. It's never going to be uh, what you need it to be if you don't have a people piece down.
1: And that comes through culture. I uh, you've, you've managed to to press one of our hot buttons already because we would I think both totally agree with you on this idea that we sometimes hear around culture being HR's responsibility or a specific sector's responsibility within the organisation um, which is I wanted to I wanted to get your view on uh, hat, one of the, way. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who anyone who works in culture quite often comes up against that it can be quite frustrating. Um, one of the other things that uh, we sometimes see is organisations who are keen to change their culture, um, but if you ask them what their culture is like, or what, or if they could describe their culture now, they kind of sometimes, some organisations look at you a little bit blankly and say, well, I'm not sure about that. So I guess what we wanted to understand a little bit about um, what your views are on how uh, leaders of organisations can actually... Think more about their current cultures and actually get better understanding of what their current cultures are yeah um well, I was I just got off a call earlier this week
2: where um the organization reached out because they wanted to answer that question, and to me, that's already half the battle uh the challenges and sometimes in organizations, leaders think they know what people need, and when they do culture work it's it's a almost a dictation from above, right. And then they wonder why it didn't work. (laughs) So, this is part of why I developed my framework, Design of Work Experience, and wrote about it in my book. So, my book is really the step by step how to for culture. And that's why I named it Culture Your Culture. It's meant to be a practical guide. Um, And it has, it's made up of four main components and has five phases. uh, The first of which is called Understand. So, that's entirely everything that you just asked about is how do we understand our current state? Where are we, where are we today? And 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 that is understanding the nuances behind that is so critical to implementing change because um it's kind of like a GPS. That's the analogy I give people like how do you know where you want to go if you don't know where you you've been you know, you know, you might know where you want to go, but you can't get the directions there if you don't know where you're starting, right? So you have to be able to know where you are, where you're going, and to be able to map that journey in between. And so my framework is intended to give that entire process from beginning to end and then to be able to set the conditions for their culture to be successful and to be
1: sustained for as long as they need it to be. Which makes total sense. And I was wondering if you might be able to share with our audience, some examples of maybe some of the tools or the methods or exercises that you might uh, do with an organization or ask an organization to do when they're trying to explore and understand their own cultures.
2: Yeah, so um, I call that, so the product of that first phase understand is called the culture study. And and there's three learning loops that help them get there. Um, It's called people in context, insights and criteria. And in the people in context space, the analogy I like to give people because it, you know shorthand it helps people kind of grasp it sooner is that it's like consumer research but targeted at employees. So when I go into an organization, it and you know there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of methodologies out there for for understanding human behavior, but I would go into an organization and we would curate anywhere from three to five different methodologies. Now I'm going to nerd out, okay? <laughs> we know that every methodology has its um, its benefits and its shortcomings, and that's why we do method- multiple methodologies because then they offset each other's limitations, and they also give you different perspectives of a culture. And when you gather all that kind of data, then you're able to develop uh, insights that you otherwise wouldn't have access to and then be able to also form the criteria based on that data. That becomes your decision-making tool later on as it comes to deciding what to do and where to prioritize around culture. And so it's it's very, I mean, my whole process, it's all about kind of creating each learning loop to have a specific set of activities that are going to build upon each other because usually this is how we're trained. We go from problem to solution. We don't think in between. And that's where we fall short when it comes to culture. And so this is like a form of organizational mindfulness because it forces um, the, the thinking and the process in there to make sure it's
1: done right. You mitigate risk that way as well. Wow. That sounds that that does sound to me like a very uh, I guess, mature or developed process that you're um adopting there in comparison to some of the the sort of individual models or the individual approaches that I've heard before. Do you find that that uh, that approach gives you a greater richness but also engages the organization better, or is it predominantly just about getting a better, more clearer view?
2: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, because I mentioned that the um, the framework is made up of four components, and it's basically design and change processes enabled by leveraging and building capability and engagement throughout. So absolutely, it's about engaging people in culture and culture change from the very beginning of the work through the entire process. And, and who better? It's a co-design model, right? So who better to collaborate
1: with than the people that you, you, you expect to carry out the culture, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a certain... Um obviousness that is not there in any models, but probably should be that if if people are fundamentally executing or creating culture, they probably need to co-create any change or at least be involved in it, right?
2: Yeah. And this is Um, where inquiry comes in. It's like the whole of the organization that the tapping into the knowledge and the capabilities and the experiences there is so important. And so that that not only helps with the culture study, uh the other two artifacts that come out of this work is you get a blueprint, which is your design for your culture. So I'm all about intentional design of a culture and then the implementation, which comes through the roadmap. So all of those should equip organizations to be able to leverage
1: culture as that asset I mentioned. Yeah, that sounds, um, that certainly sounds like a far, far more in-depth and uh, detailed focused approach which I think is is absolutely necessary when you're trying to do something as sticky and complex as, as affect an organization's culture I wanted to I wanted to just ask you a little bit we um a lot of our listeners are from small organizations but we also have a significant number of listeners um who work in larger organizations and um I imagine that uh, whatever the challenges are around changing cultures or affecting cultures in smaller organizations it's even tougher when you get you get to the big ones and I, I guess I wanted to understand when you go into larger organizations do you find cultures that are uniform do you find them in, in, in as being relatively consistent across organizations in some organizations or is it, it do you find that there's a lot of uh, variation and difference within the organizations yeah
2: it depends on the organization <laughs> Um Because companies that have done a great job of instilling their values might have more consistency when it comes to the experiences across the board. On the other hand, if an organization hasn't done the work behind um, instilling that, then there absolutely is a lot of subcultures. Um, The other thing is if it's a global organization, then you have the influence of different national or uh, regional um, cultural differences influencing uh, the culture at work as well. The research has shown, however, if a company has done the work and has created a strong enough uh, organizational culture, that can supersede the influence of nationalistic backgrounds. But it, it's only if they do that work, right? And so, yeah, the answer is yes in both cases. I have seen consistency in organizations that have a strong culture, and I mean, and that could include you know, imperfect culture, I'm not saying good or bad. It's just if the culture is really strong or salient. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those that have kind of a weaker, looser affiliation between people, then yeah, there's a ton of subcultures and they, and they show up as um, in people to people interactions or within teams themselves as well. So I, I've done a lot of that work there. And I've also worked with startups that are very small. So I've kind of got the scope of understanding between how culture scales from small to large as well
1: great, great, I think that's really valuable, and I think often missing in a lot of this kind of work because quite quite often you larger organizations are more active in this space and therefore tend to influence the work so it's lovely to hear that there's a a variation of diversity to the sources of your your sort of talent oh, thank model. you.
2: No, um, I mean a lot of this came out of frustration, like developing and writing this book. I mean, it's almost like I tell people I had two babies in one year because I had my son <laughs> and the book in the span of twelve months. And uh, but the, no, there's reason why people don't write books. At least I don't write books for fun. It's like I had a, a motivation and drive and a frustration that I wanted to contribute. And and you're right. I mean, there are there have been gaps. Um, a lot of a, a lot of the things that I saw in written work is, you know, a lot of here's how we did it, which is not context driven at all, right? And then you have um, some things around bits and pieces of culture, but not or, or archetypes, I should say, you know, here's what's good and what's bad culture. So I think we know enough there. But now it's like, how do we leverage it? And that's kind of why I wanted to be able to equip there's more work out there to be done than what I can do alone. I literally put almost, yeah. You know, I put everything into this book. I gave everything away for the cost of a book <laughs> because I feel so passionate about equipping people, no matter the size of their organization, to be empowered to access culture. Because people tend to say, well, culture is esoteric, and it's, it's something that I can't touch. But the reality is that all of us we're we're all actors and oh I shouldn't say like we're all participants in these systems. I'm also influenced by systems thinking, by the way, Peter Zenge. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're all we're all participants in the system, and so we do have access and we can affect culture. So I've actually you know created the book for organizations and and um practitioners to be able to leverage but i've also i have something on my website called the 30 day challenge that empowers individuals no matter what job title level to be able to you know begin to boost their culture uh, to in, to uh, initiate the conversations around culture
1: that's a that's a really really great thing to have because we talk a lot uh, uh on the podcast about um, and we have we have a large number of listeners who experience this who may may not be in positions of leadership as yet, um, but still want to look at how they can start to learn and develop and influence uh, around this space. So that's that's lovely. And we will uh, listeners will pop a, a link to all of Karen's materials uh, when we're promoting the podcast. Um, I just I wanted to you you've talked a little bit about your framework already, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about uh the framework and how people use it so that those who are listening can start to get an understanding of how this framework um helps shape the culture work and processes that you use
2: yes it's so hard to do it um by voice only because it is a visual (laughs) it's a visual (laughs) model but i'll try my best and actually i've given a bits and pieces of it as i've spoken so far so um, just to summarize it, it's it's made up of four main components, design and change processes. And as I said, they're n- enabled by capability engagement. And when I talk about capability, it's about uh, it's about developing and leveraging capability. And when I talk about engagement, it is true engagement in every sense of the word. Um, uh, co-designing, right and and partnership. And bringing and weaving together an organization even closer. So, th- so there's, as you know, in, in, in your work, there's, a, there's sometimes this huge gap between leadership and everyone else, right? This us versus them aspect. And so this is where design thinking comes in, is it's us with them. So this is, co- this is a collaboration. And all of that work is broken down into five different phases. So those are understand create and learn, decide, plan and implement. And and each of those are made up of learning loops of what I mentioned to be specific sets of activities. We are constantly trained to look ahead and say, what are we doing next? So the way I've developed the framework is to be able to provide the map of the entire process, but to to force people to focus where they need to focus where they are in the process. And it's meant to be iterative. That's why I put learning loops in there, uh, because it's about incorporating new knowledge, looping back, solidifying, validating. Um, And when you iterate, you're making smaller decisions along the way as opposed to saying, right, we're doing a culture initiative and we're going to do this and let's hope that it actually works, right? And the big important piece about it, so there's like three deliverables, as I mentioned, the culture study, uh, the blueprint, and the roadmap, right? Um, And it's intended to allow people to really intentionally understand who they are for their specific context. That's the other problem I had with what was going on with culture work is this so-called best practice thing. Well, what's everybody else doing, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we we'll yeah, copy yeah. that and expect it to yes. work the same way.
0: We've talked about specifically with regards to a few organizations that that drag and drop. It must be right for us if it was right for them. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting you brought that up.
2: Yeah, no, no. That that was a one of my big frustrations there as well. So um, this is this framework is really intended to empower people to lead and understand their own cultures and to to leverage them intentionally. And in the process, because you're engaging people throughout, you'll see that change begins to happen even whilst you're going through it. Um, so to me, it, it's just to me uh, uh, amazing to experience and see it, which is why I've decided sure. now this is one of my four buckets, but um, obviously I take a lot of these concepts and apply it to all the other work I do, when I coach somebody, it's about designing their experience of being coached, co-designing yeah. it with them. You know, when I teach class, it's about co-designing their learning experience. So it's all about creating those experiences um, and 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 those cultures to support them that I want people to be able to take away with this framework. Yeah,
0: it, it's um, it's good. I can see how it's um, brought to life visually as well. So I think it'll be important for us to share. Some of that visual representation when we um, when we share this podcast and and as you describe it I can feel the systems thinking uh, influence coming through within this um, which is which is interesting and, and nice to see if, if we think about <clears throat> I guess those points of influence within the system or you know um, opportunities to exert influence within the systems of culture that we think about what are some of the factors that are there what are some of those um, factors that influence or contribute to cultures or, or um, I guess, players within that systemic culture that we have in organizations, some of the key things to think about that might influence our cultures.
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say, I mean, separate from the fact that everybody, all of us as participants are, are part of the culture, but if I were to bucket things, it would be mm-hmm. the context, which many organizations forget about their own context. <laughs> yes. Uh, values, um, mm-hmm. so company values because those are the foundational building blocks of the culture. Uh, leadership. And then there are people, because leaders need followers, right? So yeah. those are, I, I think, the main influencers on culture, because people actually are more powerful than they think. They're the ones that help determine what's acceptable, not acceptable, and condoned, right? And so that's why you've seen a little bit more social activism happening at work, because people mm-hmm. are realizing that they at the minimum can ask the questions. Yeah and, yeah. and one of my favorite quotes I heard from David Cooper Ryder was, our worlds are formed by the questions we ask. And so yeah. change begins the minute we start questioning things. And that's yeah. a, a, an amazing thing, right? Yeah. And it's what yeah. makes us human. It's what allows us to be uh, creative and 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 practice ingenuity uh, and and to incorporate our learning, so I really am trying to be human centered about this, but in a way that benefits both people and their business because you don 't do this just for the the good of it I mean for businesses that 's how they feel. <laughs> I feel like yes. there's like, motivation but yeah. but this is really truly a win win i mean when yeah. you when you talk about it, it it's like I just when we talk about it, and then when we see it in practice you, you you actually there's only so much we can talk about it. people actually have to experience it themselves,
0: yeah, and you can really see some of those impacts, like you're speaking about on the organization, but also more widely right i mean the the way that changing cultures affects the lived experiences of people is a really powerful thing, and it's um it's really good to consider it,
2: yeah, I mean, to your earlier question about you know why is culture important? Uh, the future of work is here. I mean, and it's continually mm-hmm. being developed. We have new generations of workers that the old models won't work with. And mm-hmm. uh, we have new knowledge and technology. The work future of work is all about, you know, kind of understanding um, this combination of technology and people in in kind of the global context and mm-hmm. the culture is such an important player in that. In the, and, 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 yeah. We have had very rudimentary approaches to culture in the past, and that's why I very intentionally put in my my book title innovating experiences at work because we desperately need to do that
0: yeah yeah we're still anchored in the 1890s view of what work is in many ways or so about some yeah. period I believe um so <laughs> I'd, I'd like to I'd like to go on and, and speak a little bit about some of the things we might be able to do to change our cultures um And I'd like to start um, by, well, I guess I'm going to kind of take it for granted why teams might want to do this. When we talked about the benefits of cultures, we talked about the impacts it can have on people, the impacts it can have on, I guess, competitive advantage of an organization. We talked about future-proofing. We talked about it as a strategic imperative for success on a range of different factors. So I I think I'm going to take that for granted. And and what I'd like to to explore a little bit is um, the, I guess, the process Of changing culture and what people might be able to do. And we've talked a little bit about your model, Um, but I'd like to maybe talk through a little bit, you know, what somebody might do in an organization specifically. But I'll come on to that in a minute. I guess one of the starting things that I wanted to go back to was um, a few times you've talked about appreciative inquiry as as a tool. And I think Mm -hmm. some of our listeners will be aware of that, but some of them won't. So I thought it would be good if you could just give it a quick example or a quick description of appreciative inquiry and maybe reflect on its power as a tool of change or even a contributor to understanding and changing culture.
2: Okay. Um, so appreciative inquiry, and, and I'm not going to have, um, you know, the definitive. Um, oh, no, no, no. This, this <laughs> is a is, uh, layman's
0: introduction. Yeah, yeah. Just okay. I, I just thought it would be good to bring it up for you. Yeah, yeah, for
2: um, yeah absolutely. For me, appreciative inquiry is uh, a mindset in practice, and this is my own take on it, right? Uh, the things that stick out for me is uh, it's a completely way, different way of framing people's, uh, the way they look at whatever social problem they're trying to address, right? So, and I already, right there, I use the word problem. Uh, Appreciative Mm. inquiry is about creating the conditions where those problems can't exist. So it's not addressing problems. It's actually, it's using the positive, the positive opposite to be able to render those problems obsolete. So instead of the example I gave in the book is, you know, um, having having a manager list all the problems that have come out of this investigation in their department and, yes. and telling them to set aside that list and to just go back and think about when their department worked at its best and recreating that. Because if you go through your problems one by one, you're never going to be finished and you're going to create new problems in the process, right? But if you create the conditions where they can't exist, so this positive framing around possibility and mm-hmm. Um, the the benefit of leveraging the whole of our systems, our, our social systems, is going to uh, be able to take everything that's positive, our knowledge, our experiences, our motivations, um, to be able to create um, new possibilities. So it's all about this positive framing that we have had trained out of ourselves as we've grown yes. up, <laughs> and then relearning it as adults to understand that there's some benefit To looking at things differently. And so those are the things that kind of that kind of stand out for me as it relates to appreciative inquiry. But if you go look at my process and you experience um, appreciative inquiry, there are some similar characteristics because it's about creating and engaging with the whole of the organization. To be able to um, consider those positive possibilities, right? And and we're not trying to create a better culture. We're trying to create the best culture and the best experiences when we do this work, because otherwise yeah. you you'll just you know always fall short. So yeah. I hope that I did it justice.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's brilliant. Um, one of the one of the things that I'd like about tools like Imper- appreciative inquiry is that that they, um, from my perspective at least, they seem to be informative while at the same time changing people so you you think about and you learn but by the very act of exploring and learning you're changing at the same time so That's so they, right. they feel like these dual purpose tools that influence while informing which is can be really powerful
2: absolutely and 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 getting i mean imagine the power of getting people that otherwise don't talk to one another you mm. know uh in the same room and i do this with my cultural work as well with design of work experience which i shorthand as dewey by the way d-o-w-e um cool. Very similar to appreciative inquiry in that respect is is, is is leveraging that whole community and combining the knowledge. And by the way, when you look at how innovation develops, it's about making sure you bring those fragments together and then you come up with something entirely new, but necessary, you know? Yeah. Um, so all these concepts, I'm, I've been influenced by all these different aspects and schools of thought um, mm-hmm. and integrated it in a way that Allows companies to define them, uh, companies and their people to define this for themselves. But going back to your question about, you know, how do teams go about this? Yes, they can implement design of work experience. This scales Mm -hmm. um, small and it scales large. It allows you Mm -hmm. to customize. But when it comes to like forming new configurations of teams or starting a new team, I like to start with team charters. Okay um so kind of helping people to be able to it's literally it's a social contract written <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. and again can I just jump in would I um would I be wrong to assume that you would look to co-create that as opposed to impose that or how would you go about Absolutely. that yes. Yes. I feel I
1: do I do feel a little bit like we should have a buzzer system for when people talk about um particularly when people talk about co-create uh uh sort of team contracting or coming up with team ways of working because James speaks very eloquently and very passionately about the role of it and so we're always very excited when someone comes on and talks about it yeah yeah <laughs> oh yay
2: <laughs> we could do this all day again
0: <laughs> yeah 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 so so yeah. if you were um if you were looking then say for example you were in uh the leader um a leader of a, a smaller team in an organization say you had maybe i don't know 15 20 people in your team and we're thinking about starting this process. Of culture change, maybe exploring a team social contract or a team charter to do that. What would what would your process be? How would you actually do that? What, what like mechanically? How would you go through that? And what would it feel like? And what would it result in?
2: Yeah, uh, and for me, it's not just about getting the work done; it's about creating the connection between people in the process. And so, I actually break it up. This is where I combine different aspects of my work together. Um, and this is fresh top of mind because I've actually written uh proposed sent off a proposal this week for cool. the exact <laughs> off a press we like it
0: yeah
2: <laughs> um so I, it's two parts uh the first part that i've proposed is to to build self-awareness because i mean you can't have team awareness without self-awareness right and so um doing some of that talent optimization work um to make sure that um you know, people understand each other and are aligned. So the first part of that work is the understanding individual differences, you know, um, work preferences and approaches, opportunities for improved collaboration, um, and then being able to leverage that knowledge into actually figuring out, you know, how are we going to get things done? How do we explore our areas of and gaps? And how do we de-risk ex- execution when it comes to achieving common goals? And when you've done that work, then you get into the team charter um, and, then, and the team charter includes things like a shared purpose, processes, the norms that you want to establish, operating principles, things like that. Then, then you could see how much more powerful it is, right? Having done some of that connectivity mm. work and then mm. being able to social contract with one another. And then designing the experience of the team. So in the absence of, say, the organiza- the larger organization might not have the purpose, mission, vision, values established. Well, you know, I'm not beyond having teams define that for themselves yeah. and having them create their own cultures so that, you know... Um, Clayton Christensen talked about these cultural islands that can exist when it comes to innovation. And I Mm -hmm. believe the same thing can happen from a culture standpoint. This is where widespread organizational change can be established. Is like they'll say, hey, what's going on with that team? You know, people start to pay attention and that's kind of how it will spread and go viral. I've worked with very small startups, like founding teams from the very beginning that care about Establishing culture on the founding team and then scaling it up rapidly through mm-hmm. obviously you know you always want them to have rapid growth, but you want them to scale up in a way where they don't lose their cultural identity and yeah. that they can evolve and so I've kind of seen that um aspect and and at the very beginning, working with two three five founders, it's about that social contracting. And they can't do that without understanding themselves first. And and I and speaking of startups, um, is that they don't always get the organizational support or the leadership development that absolutely people do in larger organizations. So that's uh, one reason why I work with a lot of them because I do want to be able to provide that to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, it feels like teams need a certain level of perhaps sort of maturity to some extent before they're really able to to really go in and embrace things like a charter. So they need to, I guess, have some of the foundations of trust and openness and ability to communicate. Would you say those are some of the, the key factors that would enable this as well as that self-awareness?
2: Yes, but it can it, it can, can be developed very quickly. So the proposal I gave is for new configurations of teams, the new teams coming together for the first time. Uh-huh. So, and so everyone might have an understanding of the work that needs to be done, but they might not have agreed on how how it's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it can happen. So you don't necessarily have to have all that trust. The whole intent is to cultivate trust on the team. And so yeah. if it's not established, this work can help, um, help them do that. Yes. Uh, so, you know, creating the sense of psychological safety by which they can uh, earnestly align with one another and focus and working in the same direction yeah. and well, leveraging diversity by the way yes
0: oh yes oh, yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
2: because yeah. like the values are what people hold in common everything else is this wonderful diversity thing like the things that we can leverage the, that people bring uniquely bring to the table mm. mm-hmm.
0: all that sort of multiplier effect and uh, uh, at the very beginning when I was speaking about your background I talked about for cross-pollinization of ideas. And yep. within that whole diversity space, diversity of ideas, ways of working, contributions, thinking patterns, all of that, it's, um, it's lovely. Um, so I guess the very last question I would ask, is, in the interest of time, we're going to start to run out. Um, not very last, second last question I'm going to ask is if somebody was in a small team um, listening to this um, and you know, they've been through and we've covered lots of really great content, um, if you were going to try and think of maybe one one sort of takeaway or one key message that might help somebody um, go forward or, or a key thing that you'd like them to take away, if they are looking to go on and influence and then potentially improve the culture within our teams, what might that key message be?
2: Yeah, I have some tips, I guess I would call mm-hmm. them. Cool. Pay attention to your culture.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yes, awareness
0: it, is powerful, isn't it? Yes.
2: Yes, of course. Um, It's never a bad time to focus on culture. People are like, you know, I deal with this every day. It's like, oh, well, maybe after this happens or that person gets hired or it's never a bad time to focus on culture. Let me just say that. Um, And and the whole point is to be intentional about it, because if it's not, then it will organically evolve for better or worse, right, and when it 's better, then you can 't sustain it because it 's not intentional, and so things change all the time so if you want to have culture as an advantage, you have to be intentional about it and in- empower yourselves with that thirty day challenge I mentioned and it's really a com- it's, it starts the conversation, and so the tips are to be able to do all these things, ask the questions, and figure out for yourselves what 's the best way to go about it but i 'm saying Don't put it off, okay? Um, So that's my big thing. Uh, Everything I've mentioned throughout this entire conversation is entirely accessible to people regardless of their job or level, um, titles, what have you. Um, And by the way, they might learn something along the way and create new connections and relationships with people by virtue of this process. So I think there's a lot of advantage to be had. It's just people have to just, you know, to use an old term, grab that brass ring, right? Yeah. Um, so I hope that helps with people, yeah. but I certainly invite them to reach out to me if they have any que- specific questions of their own situations. Um, cool. what they'll find is I'm always going to have that appreciative point of view. It's like, we can turn this into positive.
0: Yeah. There's
2: always that possibility. Um, and, and people just need the permission, I guess, sometimes, or the, the envisioning to be able to say, oh yes, that is possible. Yeah. And that impetus that to helps. start
0: and to start now, as you said, yeah. I mean, why not?
2: Yeah, it sound like an question? infomercial, but it's start now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, to wrap up then, um, because we are we are pretty much out of time now, um, I would like to ask, how can people learn a little bit more about what you're doing or get in touch? And would and, be um, good to know a little bit more about the dates of your course and how people could sign up to that as well, if they can? Yeah.
2: Yes, of course. Um, so I'm available online. Um, I'm on Twitter. I um, I'll give you all the links for your show notes. Right. But I'm on social media. I'm always happy to connect with people, uh, spec- to talk about all of these topics. Um, my book is called Culture Culture: Innovating Experiences at Work. There's a quite an extensive appendix in the back to cover mm-hmm. things like I have a, like a change primer for people that are new to change oh, management, cool. things like that, and, and it helps them understand the concepts behind. Uh, some of the work. Um, and then uh, my book, my course is called Leading Company Culture to Build Trust and Align Your Organization. Um, it's through Stanford Continuing Studies. It's BUS280, 280, Business 280. Nice. Um, and it's for culture leaders, again, regardless of role or title or level. And I've had the entire gamut before. Nice. And it helps you walk your culture talk at the end of the day. You can lead and be able to walk your culture talk as organizations. And, you know, every iteration of this course is co-designed with the students. And the students are all working professionals. And so this next round is going to focus a little bit more on the remote work culture aspects. Um, And we're also creating more space for what I call learning lab time, where they can Bring some of the challenges and the questions they're struggling right. with in their organizations and workshop it with their colleagues. Yeah. So um, I, I'm very excited to do this. Uh, registration, you can get registered through me right now. Um, registration begins end of February. And I'm sorry, I don't have the exact dates, but I'll send That's it okay. to you. Um, and the course begins um, in April. Cool. So um, I. And it's quite affordable in, in U.S. dollars. Yes. It's 500-ish for eight-week course. Great. And I've adjusted my um, – it's a recorded class, so people can, you know, take it from around the world asynchronously. Sure. Um And I've also adjusted the time to accommodate more time zones because I had people, you know, that were online at midnight their
0: time. Uh, Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) And I felt awful. I mean, I love their dedication and their commitment to it. Um, Because again, like culture, the culture change only happens when there's that true commitment. Right. And so to see people. Exactly. I loved seeing that. So that's all different ways. I'm involved in all different things. I've got some book projects I'm participating in as well um so sign up for my newsletter which is only a sometimes newsletter because
0: I can't (laughs) we know about those
2: (laughs) (laughs) so I I look forward to the engagement and I really did enjoy having this conversation with with both of you it's been
1: quite quite fun
0: yeah well we enjoyed it too so it's a big thank you from me
1: yeah and it's a big thank you from me too well thank you (laughs)
0: Okay, so you are back in the room with Jane and myself, and that was our conversation with Karen John Madsen, all about organizational culture, in which we talked through some of the concepts from her book and and a lot of the work that she's done in the practical space as well. Um, Jane, any key reflections for you or anything you want to pick up on based on what we discussed?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that Karen articulated so well that I think is really important um, is about understanding and taking stock of what your culture currently is and whether there's an issue with it at all and for me that's massively important i'll tell you i always reflect on a story i was told by a lecturer um, who said to me she used to get lots and lots of inquiries in her consultancy about uh i want to improve my staff's motivation and the response she would always give would be how do you know there's anything wrong with it right now and they wouldn't they would just be making an assumption or making an estimate and i think that that power of knowing where you are or what your current culture is, is so powerful and important in order for you to make any decisions about what the future might like and any changes you might want to make.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and actually, it's, it's in many ways quite similar to the point I was going to pick up on, which was again about bespoking and applicability and, and really understanding where you are. And one of the things that Karen talked about when we were having our conversation was that sometimes organizations see another organization and want to mirror their culture or want to be like them or or want to replicate the things that they're doing to improve their culture and experience and karen's point was that actually you know what's right for somebody else might not be right for you and again it's that same sort of um need for awareness and reflection on where you are at the minute and and creating the right things for you based on your context and your experience so i think um there's a lot of sort of crossover between those two points so it's it's, i just want to add
1: on while you say that Uh, have you heard of the phrase isomorphic pressures
0: um, no. Tell the me about this.
1: Isomorphic pressures are exactly what you just talked about, where mm-hmm. in sectors particularly, people catch ideas from others without necessarily it being either the thing that's made that organization successful or indeed right. would work for them. So the example cool. would be like where everyone tried to Spotify their teams. So yeah, there was okay. there was stories going around, around corporates, around how Spotify did things, and everyone wanted to copy them because they were so successful, without asking, yeah. is that the reason they're successful, or indeed, is this right for us? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And those things could even be holding them back. They could have been much better if they didn't do that. So there are all those sort of questions to reflect on. Um, I like that word, isomorphic. That's fun. Um,
1: I know, it's my favorite at
0: the moment (laughs) that's good um one other thing that came up that we discussed that i liked is appreciative inquiry or inquiry depending on where you are um i like the you know the act of focusing on a positive side of things and looking for better ways to do it and adopting that mindset is it something that you've done before jane is it something you've been involved in
1: so i am a massive fan of appreciative inquiry but i i will also say that it's something that i'm relatively new at understanding formally and getting to grips with but the little that I have both read and had sort of had a go at, if you will, involving it, trying to develop it into my practice, I just find it incredibly powerful. Um, what about you?
0: Yes, yeah, similar. I mean, I've come across it in um, in sort of theory and, and education before and speaking to people. and And I've done little bits of it in practice, but again, not as a really formal part of a large program. Uh, So like you, I find it interesting and uh, refreshing and a great way to do things, but I've not used it on a big scale. So I'd love to explore it a bit more.
1: Yeah, well, maybe we should do a
0: podcast about it. Oh, that could be fun. All right, we'll add it to the list. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. So thank you guys very much for listening. And it's goodbye
1: from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork.io. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io.